Good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine and uh, the chief provocateur on this uh, weekly live stream broadcast. Um, you're, today, we, we, I think we have a really great topic today. We're talking, you know, everybody's been discussing restarting the economy. Um, and, and that's a global issue, right? It's not just in the United States, that's in Canada, it's, it's everywhere, really, because we've been at an economic standstill internationally uh, as a result of this uh, pandemic. Uh, so certainly everybody agrees that we have to, uh, you know, start some form of economic re restart here, uh, you know, lest we stay uh, in this perilous uh, financial situation, but we have to do it in a reasonable fashion so that we also don't uh, relaunch uh, this pandemic, you know, to a, to grander and uglier scales. So um, with us today is Graham Dick. Um, he's the uh, director and master trainer of infection control training group in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, Graham has over 30 years industry experience and is recognized across North America as one of the most technical decontaminants, uh, decontamination specialists in the property damage restoration industry. And I'll back that up, actually. I, I feel that way about him. Uh, he's a very, very knowledgeable man uh, who I lean on heavily for information. He is a subject matter expert on infection control, microbial de decontamination, forensic cleaning, fire soot restoration, and mold remediation. He spells mold the wrong way, but then again, he's from north of the border, so. Uh, it's like you could argue that we spell it the wrong way. We left the U out. Um, he uh, speaks regularly on these topics and uh, many more environmental restoration, hospital facility conferences all across North America. And he served on numerous industry boards and councils and task force uh, force uh, forces. Uh, so again, welcome returning back to our show, Graham Dick. How are you? Hey, great to be here today, Bob. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, you know, so I'm really excited to have you back. Uh, so those of you, many of you, if you've uh, checked out the latest uh, digital edition of Healthy Indoors magazine, um, Graham uh, has written the uh, cover story for us. And the story is uh, uh, reopening the economy, the missing link. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is, you know, some of some of the points that he brought up in this very, very uh, forward thinking article of uh, some of the key components I think we need to uh, be looking at. Uh, as we attempt to restart things. But first, I, I guess some of you may have noticed that um, um, our wingman uh, slash uh, uh, co-pilot seems to be absent. So I, you know, the first picture I have to put up here is the question of course is uh, where's Joe this week? And uh, Joe, Joe is unfortunately uh, previously occupied. I guess, I, you know, what can I say? We all have other careers outside of the Healthy Indoors show. So uh, Joe will be back with us next week. So, um, so it's uh, Graham and me going at it. This is going to be, this, this, will, this will be a fun conversation. Uh, so I guess let, let me start out, um, you know, in that recent cover story for HI, um, you stated that uh, as I listen, and this is your opening, opening uh, paragraph in the piece, and I'm going to paraphrase it. As I listen to the medical specialists, public health, uh, uh, public health specialists, uh, economists, and government officials talk and discuss the topic of how to restart the economic machine, I believe there is a significant and inexpensive element to the conversation that no one is discussing. So I ask you, what is that element that nobody's discussing, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's uh, the element is that we need to empower people to take control of their lives. 
And uh, we're going to get into this uh, because it's, it's a process uh, and we're going to dive into it during this talk and some of the other questions. But it really starts with teaching people about risk assessment and the differences between hazard risk and exposure. Uh, so yeah, that element, empowering people. So are you, are you thinking basically that um, that's, uh, that whole conversation has been left off? Because, you know, it's after, after uh, we received your article, went through the editing process on it, I, you know, I, I found myself uh, unable to find anybody else discussing this topic. So I think you hit on something that's a big issue. Yeah, you know, it's, it it's, comes from, uh, I guess, I've always been uh, someone that kicks against rules. And, uh, and, and as I uh, maybe got a little bit more mature, I, I started to understand why, uh, why rules bug me. And, and why rules tend to bug people in general and, uh, and, and why society then develops the way it does uh, in its reactions to, to rules. And I, I think we're seeing that right now during this pandemic uh, in, so many, in, in so many ways that this is playing out. And, uh, and so, yeah, this is, this is, this is I mean, you, you hit that as a point, you hit that as a point in your article, uh, you know, that, that concept of, of principles versus rules. Um, and it's funny that you say that because I, I think I have a tendency to buck rules too. I don't like inflexibility. Um, so, you know, which approach makes the most sense in, in the wake of this? Well, you know, because of the way government uh, exists in, in society and in culture uh, globally and, and, and historically. Uh, initially, rules are needed because that's just how society operates. And, and it is truly the most effective means to control the masses uh, behavior in the short term. But then it's so important that you train people in the applicable principles and, and you use the teachable moments that present themselves daily to train them on how to apply those principles. Because, uh, you, you know, if you, you can never have enough rules, because for every rule you make, there's going to be a set of circumstances, a set of variables that don't apply specifically to that rule. And so then that rule becomes either too much or too little. And, uh, and then people go, well, if that rule doesn't apply to me because it doesn't fit this little box of, of variables. And, uh, and, and without them understanding the principles behind the rule, why that rule is important, uh, what purpose that rule is supposed to serve or was designed to serve, then, then they're unable to go, okay, well, with this new twist, the principle is this. And therefore, if I do something this way, I'm still following the principle. It doesn't look like the rule, but I'm following the principle. And that's at the end of the day what was intended. And, and I guess I guess you would have to acknowledge that uh, rules are somewhat, by nature, inflexible, right? I mean, they're prescriptive. They're very, you know, for the most part, they are inflexible. They're they're very directive. And uh, yeah, I mean, can you could you ever write enough rules to cover an indoor environmental issue? I, exactly. I mean, uh, rules begat 
rules and and it's it's ad nauseum i mean that's uh that's that's where the legal system is gone is is uh uh and and most religious systems you know i mean uh you, you know take take the way some people uh look at uh, at the bible uh, as an example and you know you've got 66 books of, of rules uh if if you listen to some people uh, and then, uh, and then, from a standpoint of principles, you, you know, you get back to, uh, you know, Jesus said, "Love God, love your neighbor as yourself." There you go, couple principles, and you fulfilled all sixty-six books of rules, which you could never remember, and you'll never be able to follow it in a hundred years, right? So you don't have to remember much if you keep uh, if you keep it to the principles and then follow a couple principles, and that's that's really how I think people need to, uh, what, what the opportunity is here in our society is to, we had to start with the rules in order to make people safe and in order to get things moving in a safe manner during a pandemic, during, during this uh, scary time of a new disease, a novel disease. But then we need to go, okay, people, here are the principles on how you can assess any variable, any set of circumstances that you find yourself in on, on, from day to day as you conduct your, your daily activities. And by following these principles, you can take control of your safety and the safety of your loved ones and your, you know, your neighbor and yourself, right? So that's, uh, that's, that's what we're talking about here. You know, one of, one of the things you, uh, in the early part of your article, one of the things you mentioned was the concept of uh, restricting deal flow. And what, what do you mean by actually, what, what is restricting deal flow? And uh, why is that an issue for trade associations or business leaders, or even business owners and people in the workplace in general? Oh, that's a great question. Um, with this whole economic startup, what, what I see happening uh, and, have, and, and even with uh, the way it's evolved with uh, all of the businesses that continued to operate uh, as essential services. Uh, and that was a really large sector of the economy. Uh, you, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of companies continued to uh, operate uh, or were allowed to continue to operate should they choose to. And, uh, and what evolved was, was, a practice of restricting deal flow. And, and what I mean by that is we're only going to let one person into the store at a time. We're only going to let three people in. Uh, oh, now we can let five people in if the square footage is big enough, but we're going to make all the uh, aisles one-way aisles and, uh, and start to restrict the flow of, of people through our businesses. Uh, restaurants, um, you know, on reopening, uh, there is a lot of talk about uh, and a lot of requirements uh, around you can't uh, sit at the bar, you have to social distance, uh, you have to set the tables further apart. Uh, and, uh, and so your density within the restaurant is going to be 50% of what it was pre-pandemic. And if you talk to the average restaurant owner, uh, restaurants are blasted hard to maintain profitability and, and uh, at the best of times. 
restricting restricting the flow of of patrons by 50% is a death sentence to all restaurant owners. Uh, it's not economically viable or sustainable. It just means that instead of killing them uh, by a quick process, financially, right? You're killing them slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah because they're margin. I mean, obviously, restaurants they have certain peak peak table a uh, table load times, right? They're trying to turn tables over, and if they their maximum is half of what they could normally turn over, yeah, the margins just aren't there. Right. Or, so, so, or take any retail outlet. You know, you have you have periods and times where where the density is greater, but that's you, you know you make hay when it sunshines. And if all of a sudden during those peak flow periods, the store is restricted uh, to to only allowing a few people in, well, most people are not going to uh, with with non-essential goods. Uh, and services, most people are not going to stand in a line. And, uh, and as a result, uh, you know, I think a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of the purchasing that's gone online is going to stay online uh, because uh, even though, yeah, I'd love to support my local, uh, my local business, I'm not going to stand in a line for 45 minutes. You know, a friend of mine went to the store the other day, uh, uh, stood in the line for 45 minutes to get in, and, and then uh, got home, realized that she'd uh, made some uh, mistake and needed to return the item. It was like, oh, my gosh, now he's yeah. got to go stand in line for another 45 minutes to return the item. Uh, that's going to affect the sustainability and viability of, of, of businesses if they restrict access that way. And... and and so I think trade associations and, and business leaders, what they've done is they've created work plans for their members that are just frankly unworkable at significant operational costs and, and make profitable operation almost impossible without breaking rules. And, and so, you know, what's the average business owner gonna do? They're gonna break the freaking rules because they need to feed their families, they need to survive, they need to pay their rent. Right. And, and, and if business owners that are rule bound Remember, we were talking about rules a couple minutes ago, mm -hmm. and you force them to break the rules to survive, then they don't know which rules are important and which ones aren't. And so... And you're saying yeah, if they don't have an understanding of the underlying principles of what these rules are predicated on. Exactly, okay. exactly. And, and because they don't have any control over it, it's a rule that's forced on them without them really understanding the intent or the principle or, or the science perhaps behind the rule. They feel out of control and that just increases their stress. That increases their anxiety. It increases their, their, their feeling of uh, the government's out to get them. And, and, and you have all this crazy conspiracy crap going on. And, and it's part of that. People don't understand. They get rules shoved down their throat. They don't understand why these rules are there to benefit them or what the intention is. And some of them are good and some of them are not. Mm. Some of them are, are uh, adequate and some of them are excessive. And without understanding the whys, without understanding the principles, uh, you know, common sense dictates that some of them are excessive. And so people with even a little bit of common sense start to break some of the rules and once you get onto that slippery slope, 
then then there's nothing stopping that from picking up speed. And that's what that's what we're seeing in society. Yeah, I mean, there's there definitely seems to be, um, you know, for the most part, some sort of a rebellion. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing it a lot on social media. A lot of people are really up in arms over all this stuff. Um, I, I read a uh, uh, I think it was an article in the Washington Post a couple of days ago that a lot of the uh, you know, a lot of the social media traffic, either pro or con, there, there's been a ton of uh, what they anticipate is uh, 50 percent almost re revolving around COVID is uh, bot generated they believe mm -hmm. so i mean so there's certainly you know there's certainly uh groups slash you know countries slash whatever you know accuse who you want of that but uh you know if there's a lot of bot generated traffic it's it's the so discord i mean there's no question about it either side I mean, i'm not even taking the political side here i'm just saying you know if you put a bunch of stuff on both sides you can inflame both sides of a topic pretty quickly and, and there seems to be a lot of that going on. A lot of, you know, I'm not even going to say that we have really good guidance to begin with, but there seems to be an awful lot of social media buzz that just seems just misguided mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. from my perspective. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I guess, you know, I, I totally agree with your, you know, your uh, principles, principles versus rules, uh, you know, assessment here, because inflexible rules don't work in a dynamic situation very well. They just don't. So, so what? So, what do you? What's your suggestion you know, as the alternative to that? I know we're going to get into some drill down into some of these points, but from a ten thousand foot view, you know, how how could we be doing this better? You, you know, to get it out, I think that the media, if they had a uh, a five minute, uh, you, you know, even a two to three minute, well well put together piece that was constantly changing that addressed some of these topics and, and, and started to take uh, examples that are current within the media and, and go, okay, uh, take for example, we saw this video clip of, uh, of uh, this person wearing a mask in the park. Did you notice that the mask wasn't being worn correctly? This is why it wasn't correct. And that actually doesn't help the person and it doesn't help the people around them when they're not wearing a mask correctly. And make it a teachable moment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's so many opportunities with, with pictures and video uh, that are already blasting in the media 24 seven. And we could take those examples and go, okay, here, this, see this person? They're actually, they're actually, did you notice how when they walked up to the person on the street and they wanted to have a conversation, they took a step back and started talking to each other. That's what social distancing looks like. As opposed to, it, it's about how when, before we had our personal space and if someone gets into your personal space, you would naturally back up. Well, now our personal space just expanded. Well, but that, you know, you're raising a really good point here. Um, you know, making things teachable mo moments is, instead of uh, scolding people. You know, because yeah. it really it it's right. I mean, it's stick and carrot almost. You know, the comparison of a stick or carrot approach. You yeah. know, if if you actually teach people and and you know and show them reasons why they should you know they should modify behavior and why it's in your best interest and everybody's best interest to do things. I think more people would be accepting of that. 
Exactly. Instead of rebelling against it, you know, and, and that's, I guess, what I was trying to get get to is, is that when we just get rules shoved down our throats, then we tend to rebel against the rules. But when we understand what the purpose is and what the benefit is and, and, and the why behind the rules, then, then we feel more in control with that understanding. And then we can make decisions uh, based on our own morality and, and, and ethics to, to uh, again, keep, keep our neighbor and ourselves safer. I mean, are you, are you comfortable though that, um, you know, it, it, that sounds good. And in theory, I, I totally agree with you here. Um, but there, you do agree there has to be some rules, right? Because there's, it's, you're, you're, you're laboring under the pretense that everybody's going to operate in everybody else's best interest in a society, which, you know, traditionally we haven't shown that as humans, that that's always the way we operate. I mean, you know, right. Are we not, are you not, you know, does that principle you know, working principally based only, you know, without right. some and sort I, of I, a regulatory yeah, nature. True. Yeah. Okay. You know what, Bob, I mean, uh, yeah, if, if, if I was saying uh, that this is the only that uh, only principles is the answer. Then, then I think I would be uh, rather pie in the sky, Pollyanna. Uh, but uh, remember when uh, a few minutes ago I, I said it starts with rules. Rules are the most effective for uh, for, for uh, controlling behavior in the short term. Uh, but it's not effective long-term and we, and, and we see that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, clearly, clearly people break laws every day. I mean, we've made laws since the beginning of time and uh, since the beginning of time, people have violated laws. I mean, that. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, and so it is with this and that's why, that's why uh, there, there certainly is a need for, for some rules. And, uh, and the challenge is, is, is to find that, is to find that balance. And I think that as, uh, you know, particularly during, uh, during times of, of global crisis, uh, I think that there's a greater level of willingness on the part of people to uh, consider each other as opposed to, to being, uh, you know, entirely narcissistic. Okay. And I've seen I've seen both. I mean, that, that's the part, you know, I've, it seems like crisis brings out the best and worst in humanity. Oh, yeah. Does oh, it yeah. not? I mean, right. There's there's both. There's two sides of that spectrum. But and, and I don't want to keep counterpointing and always always being always being the guy bringing up the negative side in the half empty glass. But, um, <laughs> you know, I str I struggle at times with, you know, trying to be uh, totally positive about things. But. So, so that being said, you, in your article, you got into a, a point that I think is a really important point. Uh, uh, well, first, first, let me, let me backpedal. You, you mentioned how, you know, the news media, you know, it'd be nice if the media was getting out information uh, and making these teachable moments. I mean, that honestly is what predicated us create making the Healthy Indoor Show a live stream weekly. Because we used to, right. it used to be a monthly recorded show that was, you know, not timely, really. You know, we were pushing it out for each issue of the magazine, but it was, you know, something that was often segments from months earlier. So, I mean, that drove us to go there, you know, for this specific topic during this pandemic, because, you know, we felt the need for our readers to have, you know, some sort of a really 
you know, between those monthly magazine releases, we needed to put something else out there. So that drove us on it. But you mentioned um, the concept of risk assessment and differentiating the di uh, the difference, you know, differentiating the difference. That was a little redundant. Uh, differentiating between hazards and risks. And can you elaborate on that? Because I, I think that's a really important point. Mm, yeah, sure. Uh yeah, we, we don't tend to get a lot of training, uh, you know, growing up uh, in school, through the school system or, or post-secondary on, on risk assessment, uh, even though it's, it's one of those fundamental core dynamics that plays through everything that we do every day. Every decision that we make uh, relates back to our, our risk management. And, and what are the pros and cons? What are the, what, what's the benefit versus the cost of, of a decision? And, and risk assessment is taking that cost benefit analysis to safety. And, and, and we do that, you know, in kindergarten, it's like, stop, look and listen. Uh, when you get to the crosswalk, cross at a crosswalk. Uh, you know, but even, even so, uh, stop, look and listen, look both directions, make sure that there's no cars coming towards the crosswalk and that they're slowing down uh, before you step in front of them. Uh, and, and so, so it is with risk assessment and, and people often don't understand the difference between hazard and risk and exposure. And so hazard in this conversation is hazard is the disease, COVID-19. Uh, we don't want to catch COVID-19. That's the hazard. Risk is what are the odds? What's the chances that you're going to A, come in contact with SARS-CoV-2, the virus, and if you do come in contact with it, what are the odds that you will become infected with the disease. So that's the difference between hazard and versus risk. Hazard is, is, the, is the disease. Risk is what are the odds that you're gonna come in contact with it, A, uh, and B, what are the odds that you will be infected through that contact? And that's where exposure analysis comes in mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, for example, you can roll around in SARS-CoV-2 and have it all over your body, but your skin is a wonderful barrier. And so even though you, A, came in contact with it, you still are not going to become infected unless it gets inside your body. So, uh, you know, do you have any cuts or wounds? Uh, you don't want it to get into your, in, into your blood. Uh, what about your uh, mouth and nose primarily? Uh, eyes secondarily uh, because it's a very thin uh, mucous membrane, but, but primarily into your mouth and nose. And, and, and so as you can get it all over your hands. You can touch stuff that's, that's contaminated all day long. And as long as it doesn't get inside your body, you're not gonna become infected. The risk is still very, very low. And then you wash your hands and you get on with life. But 
but if someone, uh, if you're coming in contact with aerosol transmission uh, droplets, aer aerosolized droplets, uh, the, the airborne transmission uh, is the primary cause of becoming infected with COVID-19. And, so, uh, and, and so that's the greater risk. And that's what we've seen uh, coming out of CDC uh, and every other resource that we watch. Um, and there's more than a subtle distinction here, too. Um, you know, just because a, a surface potentially has a, a viable uh, virus particle on it for X number of hours after the point, um, what is the real risk there? Necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't uh, think we've really delved into that. You know, you, even the research, I, you know, that, that, that I've seen come out where it shows the amount of hours of viability still don't necessarily delineate what what is the risk of you contracting you know uh COVID-19 from exposure to that SARS-CoV-2 there on that surface mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll give you a good example of that uh, I had to drop off a uh a check in an envelope at the city hall this week uh to pay for a uh a particular fee and uh <clears throat> and they told me that uh, we have a policy right now during COVID that we will not uh, open the envelope for 72 hours to process it, which means that my project that needs to be signed off is stuck for another three days. That's what I'm talking about in terms of restricted deal flow uh, that's that's not sustainable. And then you look at the you, you look at the risk. Okay, on paper, all the studies show that the virus particle is inactive uh, within two to three hours. Uh, that's one one factor. The other factor is. If the person opening the mail in the morning uh, was to open all the mail uh, and, uh, and, and then wash their hands uh, and, and follow a, a, a safe work procedure, really is there any risk and mm -hmm. uh, and probably by the time that you know even if they stuck it in in the box and left it there for for double the time for four or five hours uh they could still process all the paper the same day well yeah and, and does that 72 you know yeah it, it just doesn't seem necessarily reasonable i i, I would say and this is a conversation I've had in my house, you know, when we first started receiving uh, uh, packages, you know, from Amazon or whatever, you know, like, what do you do with them? You know, should we be spraying them down with, you know, a quantum, you know, uh, spray before we bring them in the house? And honestly, no, I, I don't feel that way. You know, my, my, I got down to the point where, you know, we would just let stuff sit for a few hours and, you know, out in the foyer outside of the, you know, basically outside of our living space and then go out there, uh, decarton items, throw, you know, recycle cartons like we normally would and then go wash your hands. I mean, is that not, is that not a, a more, you know, reasonable approach? Yeah. I'm not going to lick my fingers after touching that pack from Amazon. Um, because, you know, I, I don't, you know, I 
don't really know how long this particle is active and it can cause a problem. You know, because I don't think we really have all those parameters even figured out, do we? Well, you know, I mean, cardboard uh, cardboard is is double the length of time of paper, uh, uh, and uh, and so we might want to give that a little bit more quote unquote resting time. Uh, another thing that we haven't talked about is the half life of of uh, the virus and uh, <clears throat> and. and we're told that the half-life is, is four to six hours. And so uh, CDC has stated that that time is an engineering control, that if you, if you can wait uh, before, be, before uh, going into a known contaminated site, that, that, reduce, that just that time factor uh, reduces risk. So if there was, uh, a million particles of virus uh, in that cough by a um, infected person, and it sprayed all over uh, the surfaces that were in uh, proximal to that person when they coughed or sneezed. <clears throat> and uh, if and, and so you're starting with a million at that point. Well, in 24 hours, you've gone from a million to half a million, to 250, to uh, 125, to, you know, and so on. And you right. keep cutting that in half and half every four to six hours. Within 24 hours, you've, you 90% of the virus is inactivated. Isn't some of that based on, on surfaces? Depending on the surfaces. Yeah, it depends uh, on the surface, right? Right. So there's certain surfaces uh, that have a longer. That can impact it as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we have to consider all of those factors and then take reasonable precautions based on the level of, of uh, risk that there is. So, you know, you have a cardboard, you have the contents go into a box at, at the Amazon uh, fulfillment uh, facility. <clears throat> uh, let's even say that, uh, that, that it was contaminated at point of packing. Uh, by the time the contents gets to you, uh, it's quite a few very, hours. <laughs> very, very, very little virus, if if present, would still be uh, active. Uh, and then consider the outside of the package, uh, the safe work practices of the delivery. Uh, chain is that they're wearing gloves when they touch their uh, the boxes and the and, and the parcels, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, and they're setting it at the doors. They're they clean their trucks. They clean their uh, yeah, you know. So there there's there, there's a pretty decent set of safe work practices that again mitigate it and and are all buying you time as it comes to your door so i think by the time something comes to you and and to my knowledge and correct me if you've heard something but i haven't heard of of anyone getting infected from a uh, uh a delivery from an online purchase 
I have yet to see any any documentation to that effect, so I would concur. That doesn't mean it hasn't, but I mean it doesn't seem to be something that certainly is a commonplace occurrence. You know. And again, this gets back to hazard versus risk, and what are the chances? And uh, and so, you know, where where we need to focus our our attention is on the on the higher risk activities. Um, Otherwise, otherwise, I think we we go nuts. We'll drive ourselves crazy. I mean, so that that drives me to um, you know some of the other missing links that you've you know alluded to and actually described in your article. Um, safe entry procedures, safe you know safe procedures in the building. Um, you know, is there a way to achieve these? You know, we've got so many different business sectors, right? So many different work environments, so many different types of uh, parameters, right? They, they vary, they vary geographically, they vary by business, they vary by the type of clientele. I mean, climate, there's, right? There's factor upon factor. So um, how would we implement something like that? Or how would that even look? Well, you know, first off, it's, it's absolutely uh, achievable. Uh, and and it starts with uh, it, it starts with the assumption that uh, everyone entering a building has potentially contaminated themselves in the process of going from their home to that building that they're entering. Okay, with me so far? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So. So the first priority in order to create a safer space in all buildings is to have a safe entry procedure. And that means everyone entering, whether, whether staff, employee, uh, delivery person, or uh, you, you know, must clean and disinfect their hands and feet on entry so they don't track in the germs from the uncontrolled spaces that they just came out of. And, and that will break the chain of contact transmission so that everybody starts their experience inside that, inside that building that they just entered on a level playing field, right? Everybody, everybody has removed the, the fomites, the germs uh, from the bottom of their shoes and from their hands. And uh, even if they were asymptomatic, uh, and, and by asymptomatic, we mean someone that is infected, but at this point isn't showing symptoms and yet they are viral shedding, mm-hmm. which uh, is a lot viral, of that apparently in this case. Right. Yeah. So, but that viral shedding only takes place when they speak, cough, laugh, sneeze. That's the only time. And also, uh, if they use the washroom, you've described all my activities, though, Graham, because I, you yeah, know, right. I mean, because I, I'm really not a real static person. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so initially, though, there everybody starts off, and I, I think about you know when I go in and uh, uh, grab uh, grab a prescription for my wife at the drugstore. Yeah, uh, you know, I I don't have to touch a door going in. I can make my way to the pharmacy uh, counter for prescription pickup. Uh, without touching anything, I I can say hi. There's very little aerosol droplets in in low volume 
speech, uh, and uh, and I get to the counter and I say I'm here to pick up a, a prescription uh, for my wife, and I give the name and uh, and and they grab it, and there's a plexiglass uh, barrier at the, at the counter so that that uh, if I'm a how did how did our prime minister say it? A moist speaker. <laughs> a moist speaker. Okay. Uh, then, uh, th then the plexiglass there is is there to uh, to stop that. And I I grab my little bag of prescription and and away I go. I haven't touched anything, uh, and, and so I haven't contaminated the store. I haven't. I I haven't had to, you know, I tapped my credit card uh, if, if necessary, or, or uh, you know, I might've touched the point of sale terminal. Um, and and there, so there's very little that needs to be cleaned and, and taken care of by that business as a result of that transaction, right? So with, with uh, a safe entry procedure, you're, you're breaking that, that, that chain of contact uh, contamination. And it just makes it easier and, and, and uh, easier for that business to maintain their facility in, in a germ minimized state. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as a germ free state. Mm -hmm. and, but uh, I, I wanna use the term germ minimized state, right? Uh, and it just makes it easier. Uh, and that's, that's what a safe entry procedure will do for you. The second thing is that since airborne transmission is, is the bigger risk, that's where uh, masks will protect others and all surfaces from you if you happen to be viral shedding and not know what. So people are getting, this is the, I mean, this week, the big discussion in, in, in everywhere seems to be talking about masks again. And I don't know why this is such a hard topic. Because um, the, the, mis the misconception of the difference between what a respirator, a personal protective PPE versus, versus a mask, because a mask is really not PPE, correct? Uh, correct. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, as, as one person uh, put it, it's the easiest way to show respect to your fellow man. Uh, you don't know whether you're viral shedding. It's not about everybody else wearing a mask, a, a non-medical mask, uh, or a a, uh, a non uh, non PPE, not something that does not require fit testing. Uh, is all about protecting others from you. Now, where building safety comes in is it's all about protecting others and all surfaces from you. Because remember, if you're speaking in that store and you're wearing a, a non-medical mask, then you're keeping even that aerosol droplets during your speech to yourself. And it's not going on to that uh, uh, workstation. Mm. Uh, it's not going on to you know, any surfaces within that building while you're there. So if this isn't a, uh, this isn't a, a human rights issue, uh, this, this aligns 
this this aligns with the sign on many doors in the past that said no shirt, no shoes, no service. Now it's going to be no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service. And it doesn't, that doesn't, to me, and I mean, you know, maybe I'm just simplified. That doesn't seem all that unreasonable based on the knowledge that we have right now. I mean, you, you know, especially in the case, you know, the critical mass cases of, as your uh, prime minister described as the moist talker, you know, if you have the <laughs> moist talker in close proximity is being verbose, you know, if he has a mask on his face, he's going to spew less of his spittle in your direction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, the, to me, those are the two things, and they're really easy and they're really cheap. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, once once you start to get the actual stock inventory of this stuff up, where you can actually acquire them, you know, I, I, I just ironically just earlier uh, today, I received a shipment of uh, KN95 masks. Now, you know, because mm -hmm. you can get the the Chinese KN95s pretty readily or somewhat readily uh, at a, at a very uh, escalated price, I might add. But just to have them, because I'm still a consultant, I still go out and, you know, active in the field. And, sure. um, I, you know, and the problem is when you walk in, you know, well, there's two, two problems. Like I was using my full face P100, you know, an air purifying respirator. And of course, I actually had to go into a healthcare environment the other day. And uh, the facility manager actually was pretty astute in the healthcare environment. He goes, that's the kind of thing that protects you and not me. And I go, that's exactly right. <laughs> because you have an exhalation valve on it. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like you know, I, I'm very well protected walking in your facility. However, you're not protected for me even a little bit because I have an exhalation valve. Uh, have you, you know, noticed? Yeah, Bob, that, that that brings up a great, great. You know, I, I've been saying that for two months. It's like, you, you, the, you know, those respirators that everybody was touting, which really for your personal protection are good. You don't filter your outgoing air out of that mask or respirator. And I think that's the other problem. We tend to even I and you as professionals interact interchange the term respirator and mask yes and yes. and that i think that's what's confusing to people that are not in the industry and the general public because they they can't separate those two terms we use them interchangeably but we know what we're speaking about yeah yeah and and like those n95s is a is a fantastic example uh there's two styles of n95s one with an exhalation valve and one without the one with an exhalation valve does does very little or does less to protect others from yourself. Uh, it protects the wearer uh, more so, and that's what it's designed for. Yeah, in fact, the, those fabric fabric masks, you know, the homemades and things that people are wearing actually do a better job of protecting those around you than a high-end $150, $200 full-face respirator with an exhalation valve. There's no question about it. Um, again, you're not, you're not, you're not filtering the, the, uh, the, your, your uh, exhalation at all. The air you're blowing out, it's coming right out of your mouth. Well, it is, but it's also having to be directed through that valve, which, which uh, the air goes around it, but does the globs of goo coming out of your mouth oh, bend that's, you around know. or does it go straight? And, and, and what I see- That's from, a valid point. What I see from the people wearing N95s, and I've had this comment from, from numerous different people, especially, from companies where their employees wear them while they work is that it is that the exhalation valve starts to drip 
Yeah, when you're wearing the mask long enough and you're you're starting to accumulate that moisture in there, it that's, does. That's, that's right. You're and literally so dripping you're uh, setting, perspiration out of the mask. If you're viral shedding, then those drips contain virus, and every drip wherever it lands is potentially a contaminated surface. So that that's and that doesn't happen if you're wearing an N95 without an exhalation belt. So uh, little nuances that 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 make you go, hmm. Yeah, right? okay. Uh, yeah, but I mean, but this is important discussion because again, to the general public, they don't understand these nuances at all. In fact, most, not, I shouldn't say most, many professionals, many professionals don't understand the difference because I, yeah, you know, I'm speaking to people in the industry that they look at you and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a diff different mindset. So, I mean, so, I mean, what, what you're, what you're uh, advocating is really a combination of social distancing and masks uh, when you can't social distance or as part of that, or like, how do you see those working together? Well, you know what? Uh, social distancing is important and it's helpful if you can do it, but there's many circumstances where it just doesn't work. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. You, you have to, and you naturally are going to be closer uh, than, than what social distancing recommendations uh, uh, are, the, you know, the six feet. So if you can't, then you need a mask. And, and this goes back to, you know, because, because inside, uh, you know, a mask isn't just to protect the people, it protects the business from being contaminated by aerosol droplets from the people that are coming in. And that's an important distinction also mm -hmm. that I don't think people are talking about is how do I keep my business safe from everybody that everybody that I don't know that comes in to buy stuff from my store or, you know, how do I keep them from, from, from aerosol droplets on all my racks of clothing that I've got for sale. Uh, the only way to do that is, is wearing a mask requiring everyone to wear a mask in the store and now all of my all of my inventory is protected right yeah no um, i mean it makes total sense I, I i i've never had an issue with this whole mask thing i, I it just it bothers me that you yeah. know that people have construed it to be some sort of a you know a a rights issue you know yeah. it's your it's your right you know, it's your right not to wear it well is it is it really well, my my point to that bob is 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 that is that I don't hear anyone talking about how the businesses can protect their inventory from contamination and all the surfaces within their building from contamination if people would just wear a mask when they come into your business. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that mentioned ever. You know, at least in any uh, you know dedicated article or a piece, I haven't heard that conversation. Right. So it, it's it's yeah. It's another one. You know, you've you've touched on really a bunch of missing links. I mean, I, I really agree. That's why when you, you know, when you first uh, proposed the article and I took a look at it, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, th these, are, these are topics that for some reason have been, uh, you know, distinctly missing from all these conversations that we're having for the past two and a half, three months here. Exactly. And, and you know, Bob, if, if, uh, if people wear a mask because social distancing isn't practical or possible, now you're, restriction of, of restricting access 
can go back to normal if everyone wears a mask. So now if, if, the, if the business owner uh, says no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service, now he can have, go back to full capacity safely. Yeah, but there's a problem with that. Think about it in, in the food service business and restaurants. How do you wear a mask and, and you know, don a mask and eat your uh, enchiladas? I mean, oh, you know. dude. You know what? That that's that's an that's excellent pro- question. In the food in the food industry, that's that that's the problem that troubles me. The other one is in dentistry. <laughs> like, yes. how are you going to get your teeth cleaned <laughs> and wear a mask? <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's certain right. There's certain areas that are complicated. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I think that well, let's take dentistry first. Uh, it's always been uh, standard practice that. That, that the hygienists and the dentists are wearing a mask when they come to, to work on you, right? And you're in the dentist right. chair. Uh, again, if everyone is wearing a mask up until that point that they're sitting in the dentist chair, that, that's risk reduction. And, and, and that protects the waiting room. We don't have to have everybody waiting in their car. They can still come inside if they're wearing a mask mm-hmm. and, and it protects all the surfaces up until that point where it's sitting in a chair and now they're, now they're going to, uh, you know, now they got to open their mouth for, uh, for, for the, the hygienist or the dentist. Now think about all the times you went to the dentist. How much talking do you do when you're in the chair? Well, they always ask you questions after they uh, stick the, you know, the, you know questions, but, but generally, generally, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, Novocaine-induced uh, speech that, you know, and then they'll ask you a long-form question, not a yes or no. That's <laughs> so right. Tell me about how you're, you know, <laughs> whatever. So, so yeah, your, your, your talk is very limited when you're in a chair. And, again, uh, I, I think it's about risk reduction and managing, uh, again, managing risk. And there's no such thing as risk elimination. What's well, it anything? In, in almost any circumstance. Right. Uh, it's about risk reduction and, and can we reduce the risk significantly enough where we can create an economically viable environment, right? Uh, restaurants, I'll admit, I, 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 I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around uh, restaurants. All of the entry, all of the uh, activity up until the time that you eat you could wear a mask. And again, risk reduction, you could reduce the risk significantly if you only took your mask off when you're eating. That's true. I mean, because again, it is amount, the amount of time, right? We, that, that's the factor that people have talked about. The amount, of ex, the amount of exposure is relative to the amount of the viral particles and how long you're being exposed to those, right? Because it's the longer you're exposed, the more number of particles you're exposed to. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and so again, uh, if, uh, again, with restaurants, if everyone was wearing, and again, I, I can't say that I like the idea. I don't like wearing a mask. I, you know, I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, it, it sucks. But if it means that I can, I, I can go to, you know, my, my favorite restaurants and, and have a dining experience where I can eat their food fresh and hot, as opposed to <laughs> the delivery takeout, uh, skip the dishes uh, method that we've been doing. It's a bit soggy. 
right? It, it's just, it's not the same. So it's really not. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, you, you know, I think it, and, and again, the serving staff and, and everyone, um, you know, do I want to be served by a server wearing a mask? Not particularly, but if it means that the restaurant can be open and be serving me and, and we can give this restaurant owner uh, at, at least a, a, a hope in hell of, of, uh, of staying in business, then that's the least that we can do for them. And, and, and I'm willing to put up with a little inconvenience for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally concur with that. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, I walked into a liquor store last week. It sounds like a set up for a punchline. But, and, you know, wearing, I was wearing, uh, I probably had an N95 on. I don't know. I have, I have a P100 disposable too and a bunch of other little junky things. But I walked in there and I said, and it's, it's a local store. And I, the comment I made was like, on what planet in previous years would it be okay for me to walk in your liquor store wearing a mask? Like that's not usually a good sign when somebody walks in here, he's happy. I go, you're happy to see me. And it, previously to, you know, to this pandemic, would you have been happy to see somebody walking in, you know, at eight o'clock at night with a mask on their face? Probably not. Yeah, no, very, very true. I don't think we see people in ski masks in buildings yet though. Well, this, I don't, and I'm not seeing the ski mask as being really the effective uh, method anyway. So there's one final uh, point in, in your article that I just wanted to touch on. I know we're running out of time here. But, you know, you, you talked about the difference between controlled and uncontrolled environments. And I'd, I'd like you to uh, elaborate on, you know, what you meant by that and how, how that is uh, a factor that we need to be considering. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to answer the why first on that question. And, and, uh, and the why is because the human condition is, is such that it's impossible for anyone to maintain heightened vigilance at all times. And, and, and the stress and the mental fatigue just creates all kinds of unintended consequences that impact society at every level, personal all the way up. And, and there's just so little acknowledgement of this. And, and there's such a, a, a cry and need for, for uh, addressing the mental health issues of the population during time of pandemic and the need for resiliency training. So that's my first hobby horse on, on the why. Now, the way to, the way to help people uh, with this whole risk reduction and risk management and stress reduction and, and mental health management is, is to separate everywheres that you go into three spaces or three environments and and, and what i came up with is is you have a a controlled environment which is where you have control of all the variables in your surroundings mm -hmm. this is like your home this is your vehicle you know everyone that has been in there you know what cleaning processes have been done to, to create a safe space. You know whether you have a safe entry procedure and whether everyone follows it when they come in. And so when you are in your safe space, in your controlled environment, you can let down your hair, you can relax, you can live normally without stress and being a germaphobe. Now you leave your safe controlled environment and you, and, and, and you 
are now in an uncontrolled environment, which is where there may be safety measures, but you aren't in control of them. You don't know who is doing what. You have no control over the environment. This might be public transport, uh, uh, you know, taxis, Uber, uh, airlines, outdoors, public restrooms, uh, any building that is not observing effective safe entry procedures. That's an uncontrolled environment. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have control of all the variables, then you need to be vigilant and, and use these measures in public in these, in these uncontrolled spaces that help you stay safe, right? So that's the uncontrolled piece. And then in the middle, you have semi-controlled. This is where you can control some, but not all of the variables. And this is, this is when you go to work <clears throat> and you go to the office, you go to your business, uh, you go to your work environment, typically, and your desk, you have complete control of. You don't know who was at the coffee station or at the water cooler last and, and what they, you know, whether they touched it mm -hmm. and what they did. Uh, you know the cleaning processes that are happening in your office and, and the frequency uh, uptake and, and what disinfectants are perhaps being used and, and so forth. And, and so you have more knowledge of the control and there are spaces within that environment that you have greater control. And so you're able to be more relaxed than you are in an uncontrolled space. Not quite as much as when you're home, but, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's not a free for all like in an uncontrolled environment. And so those semi-controlled spaces, again, uh, you know, it's, I race motorcycles and, uh, and, and there's a difference between full throttle going at max race speed versus track time where it's not a race, there's a difference. And I'm not, I'm not pushing the razor's edge the level of stress isn't nearly as high. Uh, and anything that you can do to, to reduce your stress level because you can't sprint all the time. You have to save that sprint for that uncontrolled space. And you gotta be able to slow down to, to, to a pace that's manageable and sustainable the rest of the time. And, and so that's point. really what I'm trying to explain there. Yeah, that, that's a valid point. We've got one audience question I want to jump to just to get this in here. Um, the question is, uh, do we still need to worry once herd immunity is achieved? And I guess my caveat would be, uh, do we even know that there will be a herd immunity achieved? And, you know, but I, I guess leave it at leave it at that. You know, do we still need to worry about this uh, dealing with this SARS-CoV-2? Uh, every good answer starts with that depends. <laughs> there's just there, there's so many variables uh, on that and uh, and in terms of, of levels of worry uh, that depends are you an at-risk uh, population risk group uh, you know if you're if you're in the population risk group that's more susceptible 
than your level of worry when you're in an uncontrolled environment uh, should be higher than someone who is a lower risk population group. So it, it really, there, there's just, there's a lot of variables. That's not a, a, a simple, that's not a simple answer. Uh, and herd immunity is uh, exactly what you said. I mean, uh, a virus at the best of times, uh, a vaccine has not been provided complete immunity to a disease. It provides a, uh, a heightened percentage. Yeah, typically the flu vaccines have been 30 to 50% effective uh, in any given year. Uh, I don't see that, that science and medicine is going to produce a vaccine now that is suddenly much more effective than any virus uh, vaccine that they've created in the past. Um, antibodies, uh, there's some exciting developments in science around creating uh, antibody uh, treatments that, that will provide um, resistance, uh, really good resistance, if not immunity to, to people that receive it. Uh, and that could be a, a way uh, of initially treating high-risk people in order to give them a less worry when they go out into the uncontrolled uh, environments. Uh, that would be, that, that I think are the, the two most reasonable scenarios. Uh, and, and the other one that, that we haven't discussed, which, which is still out there and, and, and needs to be part of the conversation is just the reality that the virus uh, could uh, run its course and cease to be an issue for the global population uh, in, in a given time. So, you know, we just don't know. Uh, and, and only time will tell on some of these things. Yeah, I mean, viruses do often devolve, right, into a non-viable, non mm -hmm. uh, you know, non-problem. Um, so, wow, I mean, just, we're, we're out of time now unfortunately. Uh, Graham, you know, this, uh, really happy that we had the opportunity to bring you on this week and, and talk about your cover story from the uh, May uh, digital issue, Healthy Indoors. And again, uh, if you haven't, haven't seen that article, um, let's uh, switch over to it. You can get to it at uh, healthyindoors.com um, and go to the uh, magazine uh, drop down if it ever gets to it. And uh, this is the actual... Uh, this is the issue, and of course, we're seeing a little bit of weird green screen effect here, or the art artifact. But um, the article is uh, available again uh, in the uh, in the uh, May uh, 2020 digital issue, Healthy Indoors. You can get to that at healthyindoors.com. Uh, it's uh, free, always available. All of our seven years of uh, articles and uh, magazine issues and videos, all that's available free. You can also access the Healthy Indoors show there. Um, so you can uh, see uh, both uh, live streams each week on Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, as well as catch all the recordings and even get to our podcast, which is pretty cool. So if you'd rather not look at our beautiful faces, uh, you do have the opportunity to uh, not look at our beautiful faces and here are uh angelic voices i guess we could go that way right so i so with with that 
Um, I again, uh, I'd like to give uh, you know a definite shout out to uh, uh, my absent uh, co-pilot of this week, Joe Medosh, uh, the healthy building scientist from Hayward Score. Uh, he'll be back again with us next week. And next week's show is kind of cool. We have uh, we have Larry Sloan, the CEO of AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, along with a group of kind of who's who, uh, certified industrial hygienists, Mike McGinnis, Dr. David Krauss, uh, one of our regulars, and uh, Jack Springston are going to be on, on to talk about um, what may be the evolution of the industrial hygiene uh, profession. So this, this should be a real good topic next week. So definitely join us next Thursday. That'll be on June 4th. Uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, uh, the American Industrial Hygiene Association annual conference went totally uh, digital this year. So that, that runs the 1st through the 4th next week. Uh, it's AIHCE. Uh, is, you, know, you can get to their website and uh, actually participate and uh, join that, um, that event via online attendance so that's uh, that's all available um so i did a little plug for aiha that's cool um you know everybody gets a plug so you know and so and so does graham so graham is you know again uh the director and the master trainer for the infection control training group out of uh, vancouver british columbia um and he's a hell of a forward-thinking guy i like you know it's always a pleasure to have you on and have a conversation with you whether we're on camera or not and you're, you're welcome back anytime <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Uh, pleasure to be on today, and and uh, it's great to have an opportunity to just expand on on uh, on a short article because it's hard to flesh out some of those ideas sometimes uh, on on a page. Yeah, there's no there's no question about that. That's actually I, that's that's been one of my challenges when you know, when I try to write to try to succinctly get a point across, and you can't really have a dialogue, right? It's kind of one way. We had a little dialogue today. That was that was fun. So um, again, for uh, the Healthy Indoors Show and Healthy Indoors Magazine, I'm Bob Krell. Uh, we'll see you next week. Please stay safe.